A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. Scott Searles, financial advisor, president of Skybox Financial Group, serving you all throughout the greater Cleveland area and an office in Bradenton, Florida. Find us online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com. I'm Walter Storholt. Great to be with you once again, Scott. Are you still full on uh, Thanksgiving leftovers at this point? It's my favorite time of the year. I, I overeat and lay around. And, and then overeat some more after that, right? That's that's right. Though, you know, my family's not super huge on the uh, on the Thanksgiving leftover thing because none of us are super huge turkey fans. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm in the same I, boat. I like turkey, but, you know, so we do two turkeys because we have a lot of people over our house. Oh, I was um, going to say, you're not a turkey fan, but you do two turkeys. Wow. We do, we do. And that's because we'll have you know, what, 25 people? Oh, that's Um, a big gathering, yeah. Yeah, so my wife does a big one in the oven, but the most popular turkey, and and my my daughters all request this turkey, is my smoked turkey. I throw it on a Traeger, um, I I brine it overnight, and then I inject it with some uh, little hot sauce and butter, Uh, then I smoke it, and uh, it turns out super juicy, and uh, it, it's the hit of Thanksgiving. And I do like the smoked turkey much better than the regular turkey. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody else who they're going to do a smoked turkey. I don't know if I've ever had a smoked turkey. Oh, man, you aren't living, Walter. You, you're you not living until you have a smoked turkey. It's really good. Oh, man. Yeah, I uh, we just did the normal baked turkey this year. So um, they were saying that they were going to do a smoked one and a baked one. We're considering a deep fried one, which I have had a deep fried turkey, which is also... Mm-hmm. Pretty good. good. I think yeah. maybe maybe better than going the baked route, but I need to try the smoked one. So next year, I'm coming to Scott's house for Thanksgiving. Absolutely. You're more than welcome. We nice. have, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it turns out, you know, everybody thinks smoked turkey is like you have a s- overwhelming smoke flavor. And it, it's not that at all. I mean, it's got a little bit of smokiness, but just, uh, I mean, it it's super good. It's not like smoked like you get like a brisket or pulled pork that's going to have a smoky hickory kind of taste to it it's much more mild keeps it uh, more moist than you typically get with a baked turkey yes absolutely mm. good absolutely all right well maybe we'll uh, we'll try another uh turkey at christmas time something like that just to i might have to get get a smoker and give it a shot Absolutely. Get yourself a Traeger or something. And, uh, you know, the pellet smokers I found are are the easiest to do and and work with. And you just uh, fire that up and uh, you'll find yourself uh, smoking something almost every weekend. I know I do. Well, now that our tummies are rumbling sufficiently... Let's jump into today's show, shall we? This is uh, we can. I'm going to keep getting hungrier and hungrier if we keep talking about all the stuff we ate for Thanksgiving. Because I could get into my favorite smoked meal, which is smoked meatloaf. Ooh, all right. Save that for another day. We're going to have to talk about <laughs> smoked meatloaf. I've never heard of such a thing. Oh, beautiful. Can't wait to hear some details on that. Uh, well, you know, that style of cooking, Scott, takes some attention to detail and some effort. There's not really cutting corners when it comes to smoking meat 
in uh, you know in on the grill or in the smoker. I mean, you, you just can't cut any corners when you do that, right? You've right. got to. It takes time and effort, and you got to kind of do it methodically in the same way every time. Whereas when we bake something, perhaps we're putting together a recipe, or like I did one year with the Thanksgiving meal, I tried to cut some corners with the prep, ended up paying the price. Um, on that, I think one year I forgot to take the uh, plastic bag that had all the gizzards and stuff out of the turkey, and so I ended up baking it with a plastic <laughs> bag in the middle. <laughs> nice, nice. So yeah, all the the turkey tasted a little plasticky that year. Um, so yeah, you're the, not the only one, I'm sure. That's done I'm that. sure, I'm sure. So yeah, cutting corners not a good thing when it comes to cooking. Same thing in the financial world. So we're going to talk about where we see people trying to cut corners in their financial plan. What goes wrong when that happens, and why you want to avoid cutting corners. So we're going to cover that on today's show. We've also got a really good question from Wade coming up to cap things off today, um, talking about looking at maybe retiring a little early, 55 years old, and he's got some details about their situation. What does it take to make that happen? So we're going to talk a little bit about retiring early at the end of today's show. We're also going to talk about jobs in our Getting to Know You segment this week, and that should be pretty fun too, and a chance to go down memory lane. But let's talk about cutting corners first, Scott, and I'm sure this is something uh, as we walk through this list of things uh, that you've seen people try to do when they come in to meet with you in the office before, and I can't Mm -hmm. wait to hear some of your stories about this. So what about uh, in the area of risk? Do you see people trying to cut the corner of taking too much risk in their later years because they're trying to make up for not having saved enough in their early years, trying to play that catch-up game? Well, yeah, absolutely. And and that is, that is exactly why they do it. They they delayed too much. They didn't save enough uh, early on in their life. And then they start saving and they're trying to get caught up. So they end up taking too much risk. And I remember, we all remember what happened in 2008. And I remember very distinctly, they're, they're still clients of mine. Uh, I had somebody come in that, that you know, they were doing that same thing. They started taking too much risk. They were trying to get caught up. Then 2008 came along and they got hammered and they lost a big chunk of their retirement saving that they were putting away. And what happened is ultimately their whole plan of trying to get caught up actually put them farther behind because they took that loss. They were way over-concentrated in high-risk equities and when everything pulled back, they were one of those people you you know you hear about that you know lost forty percent of their money, and it took a long time for us to be able to get that back to where they were before because you know it, it's a catch twenty two. You you took all that risk you lost, and then you need to take risk to get back to where you were, which then puts you in danger of losing that money again. So the best plan of attack is not to try to, you know, obviously the best plan of attack is to start to save earlier, but then to have a properly diversified allocated portfolio where you're monitoring your risk level on a consistent basis and you're, you're making sure that that risk level you're taking is going to be at a level that'll protect you if things start to drop. Because we never, we know the markets are going to drop. We never know when. Uh, like I say all the time, the markets are predicted. Um, I mean, you can't predict the news. Thus, she can't predict the markets. So, you can have a 
10, 20, 30% drop in the S&P 500, and you, you don't know. So moral of the story there is that you know, as soon as you can, start saving and then meet with somebody so that you've got that adequate risk level dialed in in that portfolio, and you're going to prevent yourself from, from having to take that shortcut to get yourself caught up. Risk is definitely one of those recurring themes that we talk about all the time here on the show, and for good reason. It can uh, really mess up your retirement plan and your financial situation if not managing it properly. And so that's not an area where we want to cut corners. So glad we're able to talk about that one a little bit on today's show. It's not all about risk, though. Let's look at another area where people cut corners. Have you seen this before, Scott? Um, Folks kind of never just getting those legal documents in place. Like maybe they just think, ah, I don't need a will or don't need uh, you know, to consider a trust or powers of attorney. And I'm sure you can rattle off a, a few others where you see just, you know, some of those things that are nice to tie up those loose ends don't get uh, completed. Well, it's easy to cut this corner because it's something that people really don't want to deal with. It's not, it's it's not, very, like not very fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to talk about dying. Uh, and and what happens if you become incapacitated and can't make your own decisions? I mean, that's not that's not fun. That's not anything you go and talk with your buddies and have a beer about. I mean, it's not a fun topic to to you know to talk about. So people procrastinate on it. They put it off. They never quite get those legal documents in place. So one of the things I do when I meet with people and, and we we do our worry-free retirement blueprint is that we then start to look at, you know, the estate planning. And I work with several different attorneys where we can then get those legal documents put in place. And then what that'll do is number one. So whether it's a will or a trust, you know, when you pass away, it's just going to make everything easier for your loved ones. You know, they're, they're, if you have a trust in place and it's properly funded and properly set up, it's going to bypass probate. You have to make sure along those lines, too, that your beneficiaries are all set up properly. But the other big thing, too, is uh, the powers of attorney. If you become incapacitated and you aren't making your own decisions, if those powers of attorney aren't, can't, aren't drawn up, then maybe your kids can't go to the bank and get money to pay your bills or you know, they can't manage your investment accounts. They can't make decisions on them. And if you have Alzheimer's or something where you're not even able to make those decisions, you know, to draw up those documents at that point in time, then you got to go to court and get a guardianship issued. And it's a huge nightmare. So getting those documents in place early definitely is just a preventative measure for issues you could have down the road. Just a little extra effort and planning on the front end saves uh, just a lot of time and energy. So definitely get those legal documents in place. Don't cut those corners. Something that Scott reminds every client and helps them uh, actually complete these tasks as well to make it a little bit easier, which is always nice. Uh, Another area where people cut corners, Scott, this isn't just a financial thing, but just life in general, is not getting organized. But what about in the financial world is particularly bad about disorganization? Well, I think everybody has something in their life that they're not organized with. But I, I think, you know, when it comes to financial, it's very important that you get organized. I have, uh, just the other day, I had a new client come in the office uh, to meet with me. It's the first time I met them. And part of the process that we do is trying to get an idea of what they have going on. And they really had no clue. They had stuff spread out all over the place. 
they they weren't quite sure exactly what they had. They couldn't find brokerage statements. And you know, so I'm helping them get themselves organized so that they have a handle because you can't you can't do a financial plan unless you know what you have. So keeping yourself organized, know what you have, whether it, it be from a debt issue or from you know where your accounts are at, or also the other thing I see a lot of people they're not organized on it is where they spend their money at. Uh, budgeting is is a big thing, and and uh, so when we have that conversation, so you know how much money do you need to live on? And they say, well, I don't know because I really don't know where I spend my money at. Uh, well. Yeah, we got it. We got to nail that down a little bit so that we have a better idea that when you do retire, how much you're actually going to need to be able to keep the lights on, pay the cable bill, and mortgage if you have one. So, organization in the financial world is very, very important. All right, and uh, another one I think we should talk about, Scott, would be ignoring details about certain investments. So again, a lot of this seems like detailed stuff, but we're now we're talking like really drilled down certain investment details. Now, what could we be getting at here? Well, I tell everybody that comes into my office that you need to know what you have, how it works, and the reason why you have it. So I see all the time people come in, they maybe they I picking on annuities, maybe they had an annuity. They don't understand what the fees are in it. They don't understand why they have it. They don't know how the income benefit works on it. Does it have a death benefit? What kind of investment options are in there? Has that investment options performed well? Should we look at switching those? So all those little details, they're going to start to add up to start to eventually become a big problem if you don't keep up with that. And a lot of that is simply you know, people will hire financial advisors because they don't know these things. They want somebody to guide them. They want somebody to help them out and make sure that they've got, they're doing the proper things. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes they don't land with the right professional that helps them out the way they want. So you, no matter who you're working with or if you're doing it yourself, you need to understand what you have and the reason why you have it. All right, last but not least, Scott, we're talking about these areas where people cut corners in their financial plans, and that's when folks avoid the discussion about long-term care. And you talked about avoiding discussions of legal documents, and nobody likes to get organized, or at least most people don't like the process of getting organized. I actually kind of like organizing things from time to time, very kind of therapeutic in in ways. But yeah, nobody's going to really like to have that conversation about long-term care, and that leaves a, a, a gaping hole in every plan, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Everybody that comes into my office, I tell them, I said, hey, we need to have a plan for long-term care. And it doesn't mean we have to buy insurance because that's what everybody thinks. We just need to have a plan. We need to have a strategy you know, to know that if something happens to one of you and you have to go in a facility – you know, that we've got a plan to be able to cover it and make sure the other spouse is able to live comfortably. And if that first spouse has passed away and you're by yourself, well, then we need to make sure that we've got a plan in place to make sure that it's paid for or that the family members are, are aware of, of exactly what we're trying to do. Because, you know, long-term care sneaks up on people. It's one of those things where we know the odds are against us as far as we're more likely to go into a facility at some point in our lives than we're, than not. And, you know, when you look at a married couple, the odds of 
one of them going or, or even much higher. So we also have to take into effect the, in, into uh, effect the matter that we've started to figure out how to fix our body, but we haven't figured out how to fix our mind. So stays in, in long-term care facilities for some people are longer because maybe Alzheimer's. I had a client that was actually in a long-term facility for over 10 years, and it started with the fact that the kids were afraid that dad was you know, going to leave the stove on. He did it a couple times, and they were afraid that he was going to hurt himself. Uh, he was forgetting things, and they weren't able to take care of him at their place, and he ended up going in a facility, but his body was healthy. So his mind, though, started to slip, and he was in there for quite some time, obviously. And, you know, in their particular case, they did have long-term care insurance. They had it even before I met them. And, boy, they were clients of mine for probably 20 years before he passed away. And then their kids became clients of mine also. Uh, but they had this long-term care policy even previous to working with me. And uh, every year, they would, his wife would call me up when the bill was due for the long-term care. And she's like, oh, man, I hate paying this. Should I pay this bill? And uh, I'd be like, you know what? The We'll call her Susie. You know what, Susie? The, uh, you know, Murphy's Law says the day that you stop paying that's the day you're going to need it. And uh, she continued to pay for it. We funded it out of her investment accounts and, and different things. But uh, eventually they needed it. And for 10 years, you know, they were able to get, get coverage and pay. So it was, you, know, you need to think and talk about that long-term care because it could sneak up on you. And uh, you, know, you want to at least have a plan in place. Important to have that plan, and if you do not have that plan, that's where Scott Searles and the team at Skybox Financial Group can certainly help you out and walk you through everything that it takes to put a plan together. And you can set up an initial complimentary conversation by getting in touch with Scott when it's convenient for you. But while you're thinking about it now, why not go to talktoscott.com? That's talktoscott.com. And you can schedule time to meet right from your smartphone or computer. We'll put a link to that in the description of today's show as well. You can also uh, give Scott a call if you prefer that way, 888-742-0111 to reach the office. That's 888-742-0111. And while you're on the uh, website, by the way, if you go to skyboxfinancialgroup.com or check again the description of today's show, you'll also see a link to where you can get your own tax-free retirement toolkit a physical box packed with lots of goodies, special reports, and information about retirement. Good way to dip your toe into the financial and retirement planning waters. If you're kind of new to this, pick up your own free retirement toolkit on the website as well. Just check the show notes for all the necessary links and information if you want to get in touch. Thanks for breaking down those cutting corners situations for us, Scott. Now it's time to get to know you a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. All right. I think this will be a good question to go down memory lane a little bit here, Scott. So my question for you this week is, what was your very first official job? Official job, huh? I, I guess the definition um, of official is sort of up to you. but Well, I would say official was something that was not assigned by my parents and I got a paycheck for. Okay. I, I, I'll go we'll for go, that. We'll, we'll go for, with that definition. Uh, so my first official job 
was actually working in a nursery that's since been torn down, just a, a plant nursery. And uh, I would go there and water the plants and do stuff like that. Now, my first official That's a pretty job. pretty good first job. Yeah. It, it was, but it was very short-lived because uh, I was 16 years old at the time. Uh, actually, yeah, I was 15. You accidentally no, killed all the plants or something and got fired? No. No, yeah, I, I did get fired, but it's because I didn't show up for work. <laughs> <laughs> Real good experience I, with that first job. I had some excuse I thought was good, but the reality is I just didn't want to go in that day. And uh, yeah, no, they told me not to come back. So wow. lesson lesson learned from young, stupid 16-year-old Scott. Man, what what was the follow-up <laughs> job to that? So the follow-up job was landscaping, and I, and I landscaped okay. uh, for, boy, probably seven years uh, all the way through college and uh, the rest of high school. So Well, that's not too bad then. So, yeah, you, you learned that lesson from the first job, and then, boom, look at you, pretty good sticking power for then job number two that served you well for many more years. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I learned my lesson. I yeah. actually showed up for work every day when I was landscaping. So. Well, that's good. <laughs> well done, sir. Uh, my first job was in radio, actually, believe it or not. Um, wow. Yep. I started at 16 at the local radio station. Uh, it was partly an internship, and then I learned how to run the soundboard, and then I started running the soundboard for all of their evening local shows and then all the weekend programming. So I'd be there on Saturday and Sunday mornings, Saturdays doing all of the sports programming, and Sunday playing all the, the church uh, all the different churches that would uh, put their services on the station. It was the coolest thing on Sunday mornings because every single church would drop off their audio in a different way. It was right during a period where there was all sorts of different technology in the mix. So right. we had one church that was ahead of, ahead of time that would send us like an MP3 of the audio. So wow. I'd have to load that into the into the the player and into the equipment, um, you know, f- with the digital format. Then we had one that would deliver it to us on CD, one that would bring in cassette tapes, and one that would mm-hmm. bring in. Uh, do, do you even remember mini discs? Oh yeah, mini the discs. Little, the little squares. Yes. Yeah. So they there was this very short period of time where mini discs were a thing. And so uh, when, when, and for whatever reason, they were big in, in the radio world because they were like sort of this step into the digital world. Uh, it was a step up from a cassette tape, right? not yet a CD. Right, exactly. And, uh, and so we had this huge rack of equipment, and I would have to – and just with the way that the setup was, like it was very tricky having to play all of these different formats, and often the churches would drop them off just minutes before their scheduled airing. So then you got to get it – and, of course, they didn't rewind like the cassette tape or you know it was halfway through or something like that, so you'd have to get that rewound real quick. And it, was, it taught me a lot of skills of like navigating and figuring things out, and it was also a lot of autonomy very early on because I would go into this radio station and open up. I mean, had keys to the place and I'd be the only person there on Saturdays and Sundays. And then for the evening show, I was answering phones and running the board. And I learned how to juggle a lot of stuff going on all at once, which was uh, an invaluable thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great first job. You were impressive in your first job as opposed to mine. Yes. Yeah. I, I, my first job was like your second job experience because I ended up working for that radio station and then also worked for the newspaper that they owned um, for the rest of college, or for the rest of high school and then into my first year of college as well. 
before I ended up transferring to a different radio station that was in my college town at that point. So right. it was good stuff. Yeah. So lots of good memories from those first jobs, f- at least for you, maybe from the second job. Not so yeah. Much the first yeah. One. <laughs> there you go on the next episode we're going to talk hardest jobs that we've ever had so that should be a little fun little teaser for next time around but there you go getting to know you once again here on the retirement toolbox and now we want to get to know you as our listeners submit questions we've got another good one to feature on today's show it's time for the mailbag we want to hear from you all right so this week's question scott comes to us from wade Wade says, my wife and I both earn very nice incomes, and we don't have any kids. We're only 45, but we think it's reasonable for us to look at retiring within 10 years. What would we need to do to make that happen? Well, you know what, Wade, this is a a very good question, and it's certainly doable, and we do this for clients all the time. But you need to be careful, because you know, obviously most people think of retiring 56, 57, getting their social security at that point in time, and that's a portion of their income. Or they think about tapping into their retirement accounts. Well, if you are 55 when you retire, you can't access your IRAs or Roth IRAs to age 59 and a half. So what that means is that you need to then prepare and make sure over the next 10 years that you have got money outside of those retirement accounts that you can tap in for at least that first five years. Then at that point, you can move to the retirement accounts. Now, if you're able to do that and you've got sufficient funds, which simply creating a financial plan and knowing how much you're going to need is step one, uh, getting at different assumed rates and, and the proper investments in place. But the other thing, it may give you be very advantageous for you to start to utilize that non-retirement money to fund the first years of retirement anyway, because it might make sense for us to keep you in a low tax bracket and then also start looking at doing Roth conversions with some of your IRA money to then spread and make that money last longer because you won't be subject to higher taxes later on in your retirement. So it's certainly doable. You need to make sure you've got money outside of those retirement accounts to be able to fund. And maybe you might think about doing a part-time job or something too, you know, working at the depot, you know, a couple of days a week and making a few bucks. Um, the other thing you have to be careful with is the health insurance right? And you need to work that in your plan because obviously you're not available. You're not able to get uh, Medicare until you're 65. So that means you're going to have to pay for private insurance in you know those first 10 years of retirement. So that starts to get kind of costly. So you need to factor that in there and make sure that you've got the health insurance covered. Uh, so there's a lot of things to think about. It's certainly doable, but I think if you meet with a, a good holistic visor that'll walk you through that whole process, it will it will work out well for you. Good luck. Really good question. Thank you, Wade. And I have a follow up. I mean, are you seeing this a lot more often, Scott? People retiring early, just with how well the stock market's done, you know, the last decade with the increases, and maybe more people who d- chose not to have kids. Are you seeing more people come in that are in kind of this situation? You know, actually, actually, yes. I probably in the past five years, I've seen more and more of it. Um, matter of fact, I've got a client now that, um, you know, a lot of times it seems to happen when their parents pass away and they inherit money. 
you know, not that that's their initial strategy, but that's kind of the way it ends up working out where maybe they'll inherit money, they'll get a chunk of money and they're like, boy, I'm, you know, 57 years old. I, you know, maybe with this money, I can now stop working. So I see that a lot where maybe they'll inherit money. And because, you know, even though the stock market's been working really well, still, unfortunately, most people still have their money in their retirement plans. So retiring before age 59 and a half is difficult for a lot of people still. You need to build that money up outside of those accounts if you want to uh, retire before 59 and a half or have other sources of income, whether it's a a business you're going to step away from or rental properties or something like that that gives you some type of, of, of income. Another great question from one of our listeners. If you'd like to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can do that online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com. And again, if you want to schedule a one-on-one conversation with Scott Searles, talk about your particular plan, your retirement, your finances, reach out, please. Talktoscott.com, your place to go to schedule a free consult. That's talktoscott.com. Or give a call to 888-742-0111. 888-742-0111, and you can schedule your time to visit either over the phone or online. Just check the show notes of today's program for all that contact information. Scott, appreciate the help as always here on the program. Enjoyed it, and uh, we'll do it again next week. You got it. All right. Thank you so much. That's Scott Searles. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll see you next time on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Barkers. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.